Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Now, if you're in a relationship with a feeder, you might actually be one yourself. A study of uh, 76 couples set out to identify people who are feeders who admitted in a questionnaire to behaviours like topping up people's plates even when they don't want any more or giving them uh, more food than they could ever eat. I'm fascinated by this study and for more on this I'm glad to be joined by Professor uh, Jane Ogden and uh, good morning to Professor Ogden. Good morning. And thank you very much indeed for coming on with us uh, today. You're a professor of health psychology at the University of Surrey. Would you tell me, what exactly is a feeder? Well, it's somebody who gives someone else food even when they don't want it. So it's not about being hungry. It's not about helping somebody who's hungry. It's it's sort of deliberately and deliberately overfeeding somebody else even when they're they're not hungry and that other person might have said i'm not hungry or they might have already eaten or they might be full uh or it might be between meal times and that person's about to have a meal and doesn't actually want it but it's not necessarily a a nasty behavior it can be done through love um, or through affection but it's a way of feeding somebody up i guess what do you mean when you say that if you're in a relationship with a feeder you may be one too well, we looked at, in our study, we had couples, um, and I suppose I was interested in how being a feeder relation, works in relationships, um, and whether it's a one-way process or whether it's a two-way process, and we found both, really. So we found that in some couples, both couples were feeders, and it kind of helped their relationship. So if one was an emotional eater, then the other person would feed them to feed their emotions, um, or if one person was a dieter, they would feed the other person to help them diet. So it worked both ways. It was a sort of process of, of it was a reciprocal process, really. So it went, it worked both ways, and I guess it worked for them in some way. It might not work in terms of body weight, mm. uh, in terms of you know being healthy necessarily, but it worked for them in a relationship. But we also found in some couples it wasn't like that. So it was much more of a kind of linear process of one person feeding the other person, um, and the other person not necessarily wanting it. Is it linked to status as well? In other words, you know, here's the kind of spread we can put on because we can afford it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think there's lots of cultural differences in this and lots of family differences in this. But, you know, you you invite somebody around for a birthday or for a wedding or for a religious festival or for some kind of ceremony or some kind of um, celebration and you put so much food on the table because you want to show that you can do, that it's part of your status, it's part of your culture, that you have enough money to do this. Um, And then you overfeed people. Um, So you make sure that there's plenty. And I know, you know, I certainly know in some cultures... You don't want any leftovers. Mm. I mean, to have leftovers, you, you want leftovers because if you didn't have leftovers, it would feel that you hadn't fed people enough. Um, so the sign of having put on a good spread is that there was always food at the end and nobody was ever full. Why we were so interested in this, Jane, is that I think this is a particularly Irish thing. I mean, my late mother, if, if 20 people arrived at the house, she would have enough food to feed them. Like, you know, I don't know where it came from or whatever, but uh, it, I think it's a very Irish thing. Yeah. Well, I think I think it is as well. I think it is. And I think it's, you know, I wonder whether there's a kind of history of a famine going back there yeah, or whether yeah. it's a post-war thing um, and cultures that have had times of absolute want um, that they also feel like that. Because I know my mum is very much like that and she would say that's a post-war effect as well. It's a post-rationing effect 
that you kind of recovered and therefore you have to have lots of food um, mm. to give to people when they come round. Now, it's all grand and very well. You're well fed, you're looked after, it's showing you love. But what about the downside of this then? I mean, weight is the obvious one. Well, absolutely. Weight is the ob- obvious one because if one person is trying to lose weight, then the other person, through love perhaps, although not always through love, I think, can actually sabotage their attempts at trying to eat less. So, you know, food in a relationship is such a kind of powerful part of how relationships work. If one person in that relationship says, um, I'm going to try and eat less, I want to lose some weight, I want to eat differently, I don't want to eat the kinds of foods that we've always been having, or I want to break our habits, you know, maybe in the afternoon we have a cup of tea and a muffin, and they say, I don't want the muffin any longer um, because I'm trying to lose weight. That breaks that relationship dynamic, it breaks that habit, and it's difficult for the other person to then go along with that. So feeding them is a way of saying, actually, I want to maintain the status quo. I want you to be like me. Um, I want to carry on the things that we're doing. And that's not helpful if someone else is trying to lose weight. And if you try to break that cycle, I mean, can it damage a relationship, for example? Well, I think so. I mean, I've, you know, I've seen in some of the kind of clinics, weight loss clinics that I've, um, I've, I've kind of been around and done research in, that when somebody loses weight or when tra- someone's trying to lose weight, their partner, much as they might love them, finds that really difficult because they end up being in a relationship with somebody who's just different. You know, and we all have habits around food which are built up over years and years of being in relationships and that person might feel like they're not the person that you knew you were with any longer. And then also if that person does start to lose weight and sometimes the partner can feel a bit threatened by that, um, can feel a bit, oh my God, they're going to actually leave me. Um, and so that can be worrying and that's when they then might start trying to, to overfeed them as well to kind of make sure that they they stay with them. It's interesting that over the last 20, 30 years we've been flooded with diets and talk about what we should and shouldn't be eating and one thing and another. But I certainly in my experience, I haven't come across this angle uh, before. It's a wonder more people haven't spoken about this over the years. No, I mean, I, I, I wonder as well. I mean, I think it's kind of, it's, it's sort of implicitly there, isn't it? And we all know, you know, aunts and uncles and mothers and granddads yeah. and grandmothers or whatever that do it, but it's never really been given a name. Um, and so I think that that's what I was interested in. I mean, I've definitely seen it around in, in my little world and my, my, my family world and it, it's kind of what we do. So I think I was just quite interested in how, you know, you reach for food and you give it to somebody else and you think, no, they don't need that. You know, why are you giving that to that to them? But um, no, it's something that very personally interested me. So I thought I'd just do some work on it. So we did these couple of studies and, and I think there's lots more mileage in it really to kind of find out how you then can prevent it because you don't want to stop someone loving with someone. It's a bit like killing with kindness, I of think. I mean, I, you know, yes. I think I've done some work on with the vet school that we here, have here at Surrey. And, you know, it's very parallel to people who have overweight cats or overweight dogs or overweight horses. You know, they're killing with kindness, really. They think they're being kind and they're showing love, but actually the animal is suffering. And um, often, Jane, they know what they're doing as well. And they love this creature, but they continue to do it anyway. Well, that's right. I mean, that's it's, it's bizarre, isn't it? We, we we do things for ourselves and for others that on some level we know aren't good for us or for them, but, but we carry on doing them. And that's, you know, that's the kind of big paradoxical problem that as a psychologist have been trying to think about for, for decades and haven't really solved. But why do people do what's not good for them or good for others? And I think, you know, my take on that is, is very simple, really, is that it's just a, a cost-benefit analysis and that the benefits of doing it are always in the here and now. So the cake type tastes nice, the animal is grateful, the partner is pleased, and the, the costs are always in the future. 
Um, so benefits now always beat costs in the future. So we just live in the here and now and we do things which work for us, but they have longer-term implications. It's most interesting. Just before you came on, we had a conversation about the cost of living, and uh, I'm sure it's uh, similar in the UK, but over here at the moment it's just gone through the roof. I'm not sure how many feeders will be around with the way things are going. <laughs> well, this is right. Food's going to take on a whole other dimension. Absolutely. All the prices completely change. Yeah, I mean, food, you know, food as love, food as, as decadence, food as celebration, all of that stuff's going to change when we're going back to just trying to get food into the family and into the house and just survive, really. No, it's there. It's most interesting. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Professor. You're Thank very you. Well.